A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B, and advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the big interview with Graham Hunter. This is our monthly Q&A show. I'm Neil White and I'm joined by Graham Hunter, the host of the big interview with Graham Hunter and Pete Jensen from La Liga Television and our special guest for these Q&A shows. They are here to answer questions sent to us by our beloved socios, those listeners who have chosen to support us at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. You can too. You get early access to our shows. There's no adverts. And you get to contribute to these shows and also the big interviews themselves. So when we spoke to Jan Agafiotoft, who was our last big interview, some of those guys sent in questions. That could be you if you go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. All the information is there. And let's get going with our first question from Gareth Scriven. Gareth, thank you for sending this one in. A lot of people, guys, were interested in various goings on at FC Barcelona, but the name that came up more than any other was that of Adama Traore. Gareth says, Adama, possibly back to Barca, is he what Barcelona need? And I think I might just machine gun you with a couple more. Kevin White, social Kevin White, hello, Kevin. Derek Elder as well. Kevin wondered about the calibre of the signings Barcelona have been making from the Premier League. Ferran Torres and Adama aren't top-tier stuff. Uh, they signed in the past guys like Thierry Henry, Marc Overmars, Luis Suarez, when they were apex predators in England. Are those kind of moves beyond Barcelona right now? And then Derek, Derek Elder, hi Derek. He said simply, Adama Traore, really? Bench warmer for Wolves. So if we focus on Adama, Graham, first of all, what did you make of that signing? Well, um, hello everybody, Gaz, Derek, um, this is a tough one because, you know, it's my nature to, to speak in very big capital letters with red underlining and in normal instances I would say I think that Adama is an unattractive footballer in that he very little knows what to do with the ball when it gets to crucial situations, his acceleration is dribbling yeah they're interesting they were 
when he made his debut. I suspect that both Pete and I were at his debut game um, at at Camp Now. Um, and in that instant, he looked like somebody who was um, who would trick defenders because irrespective of what he's got now, which is this Usain Bolt um, explosion over 30, 40 metres, in, in close combat, it looked really interesting. Um, <clears throat> subsequently, um, more for Wolves than Middlesbrough and certainly for Spain, one of the things that I find um, not only not a lot of fun to watch, but the antithesis of what Barcelona particularly under a Xavi redraw, is supposed to be about. Uh, and here I, I think I side, I intuit that I sign a little bit with Gareth and, and Derek, is that when Adama gets to face a banked defence and pace is not an issue, two things I think are unattractive. One, his creative wit about how to unpick a marker. Now, if it's two markers and some teams do put two on him, no matter who you are, that's a pretty difficult prospect. So I'm not being abusive to Adama. But I also find that, particularly in big games, his his use of the positions he gains um, isn't all that. There were two seasons from 2017 when he scored cumulatively about 11 goals and made 24 assists, which undermine a little bit, I suppose, at face value what I'm saying, except normally those assists from my Boy Scout research came in games where his explosiveness and, and Wolves' ability to play on the counter did matter. Now, Barcelona occasionally play that way away from home. Xavi has not by any means created a side that resembles the best of Rijkaard or the best of Guardiola or the best of Valverde. And I think what he's aiming for at the moment is a style of play which resembles the best of Luis Enrique um, without the, the brilliant front three. So there are things about Adama that I can understand attract the current Barcelona and I'd put a punctuation point on it and hand to, to back to you, Neil and Pete, in saying that you can see this is a bet and it's not a bet on Adama's um, future three, four years or a bet on the fact that suddenly Xavi can make him a different player than we've seen at, at, at Wolves. It's a bet on two things. Barcelona are on the verge of qualifying for the Champions League if their form continues over the months to the end of May. They have to be in the top four financially. It's more crucial than for almost any other club around Europe right now because of their debt situation and their financial fair play situation. And they clearly reckon that rather than waiting, say, for Abde or Ferran to instantly dominate and instantly create all the solutions, one, they think that a short-term explosive bet on Adama can help them. And two, Xavi is, to my mind, um, confusingly married to the idea that they should play 3-4-3 with somebody on either touchline who is neither a winger nor an outright wing-back, um, but can do some of both tasks. Adama played that way for uh, Luis Enrique at Spain level once or twice. It's something that I think he 
he can manage. I don't think it's his preferred position, but I think intermittently, if this deal is done, and as we're talking, it's only a deal that's on the finishing line. It's not done. Many, many things can happen. But my point of view would be it's a strange deal. It doesn't make me excited, but it's an interesting bet. Pete, are you excited? No, I'm not excited at all by it, uh, or I wouldn't be excited by it if I was a Barca fan. I think it was—it's a deal that's been on the table for the hot for the entire window, and the fact that it's only now being activated in Graham's right letter as we speak—it's still not completely over the line. But the fact that it's only being activated pretty much right at the end of the window tells you what you need to know. Um, Xavi would have said at the start, "Can we not do better than that?" Um, and the fact is that you know. It looks as if I might be proved wrong in the next couple of days before the window shuts, but it looks as if, no, they, they can't do better than that. There, there's nothing else they can do. And so Chavi thinks, well, this is maybe better than nothing. Um, it's interesting, Graham's point about the fact that he has played as a wing-back because I think you could see him maybe in a 3-4-3. Three, three. Chavi's kind of tried that a couple of times since he's taken over. Um, the other thing is that Barcelona absolutely are not interested in buying him. Um, and, that, and that could be one thing that, that brings the whole thing down. Um, I, think it w- I think it will happen. But the one difference that they had was that Wolves wanted there to be um, an obligatory buy and Barcelona weren't interested in that. Um, they, they, now, whether that changes at the end of the season with some jiggery-pokery for Trincao, who is at Wolves and Wolves um, uh, to keep him would have to pay £30 million and and the price that they put on... on on um, Traore is around the same. We, I don't know, but um, it's not. It's not. At least they've got. They've got. They've got. They have different agents, or well, it's it's under the same roof, isn't it? Exactly the same yeah, agent. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes, so, I mean, sometimes I'm, I'm picking up on your cynicism. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> with these players, you, you see the agent name, then it's not the same agent, but we know that it's the same. You know, it's the same um, overlord, as it were. Um, so um, uh, it's not something to get excited about. I don't completely agree on Torres. I think Ferran Torres is a good signing. Um, and I think they were done a favour by City. I don't think it was a case of City thinking, no, he's not, he's not going to be what we thought he would be. I think they were done a favour and I think that can still work out in the long run. The other, the other thing about um, uh, Traore is if is Dembele stays. And I mean, they keep saying, you've got to go, you've got to go. Well, he hasn't got to go. He's got a contract until the end of June. Um, and if he if he decides to stay, then he's fully entitled to stay. And um, um, if he does stay, then you've got Dembélé and Ferran Torres, two internationals, whose best position is on the right side of the front three, and you've just brought someone who plays on the right side of the front three. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Nothing that's happened over the last few years does make a lot of sense. And it's also more evidence of Barca being a reactive club, not a proactive club. They don't... You know, they don't have a, a Monchi or, or, or even a, a Chiqui Biggerstein or a Zubi Zaretta that just decides what the club needs and goes out looking for it and comes back with a list of five or six options. And, and then it's just a case of, you know, which agent is going to knock the door next. And Mendes, as I say, has put this, to, to them, put this on the table at the start of, of uh, January and it does look as if they're thinking, well, you know, it, it's better than, better than nothing. Oh, there's a real higgledy-piggledy jigsaw nature to what Barcelona have, have tried to do or been able to do, and that's for a host of reasons. How attractive is it to go there? The financial fair play situation is is really tough. They actually don't have a sporting director right now, an, an officially named. 
They've got a guy who does the deals really well in in Matteo Aleman, but he he's not an out and out football director. He knows football well, but Jordi Cruyff's role, which really, in my view, should be converted to being the director of football and be the Montchichiki Bagiristan figure. He isn't. He's kind of got a roving commission. Now, when you get that in any organisation, it means that people scratch their head a lot. But they don't yet. Have, they've brought you know they parachuted Chavi in in an emergency situation. It's not like there's a bible set about how are we going to play. Um, so that targeted idea of going and plucking a, a, an Ivan Rakitic from uh, Schalke or a Ter Stegen from Borussia Mönchengladbach. Both of which were achieved under um, Subzareta. Um, those deals are harder to do when you don't have a set style of a set bible of how we want to play over the next five years. You you don't have a football director. The rest of the world has been looking by and watching the senior players at Barcelona slash their wages, give salary back as a gift. They've seen Messi leave. The whole honeypot idea of, of coming to the camp now was a number one place. That's gone, at which point you need to fall back on vision and brilliance and being ahead of the game. And um, they aren't. Following up from a point you made, Pete, here's a question from our sponsors at Bet365, who asked, what should Barcelona do about Usman Dembele? Is he the worst transfer in their history? Now let's detached kind of performance from that or potential from that. Pete, you made a really good point, which is that he was given um, a contract that reflected a transfer fee that was astronomical. And he wants, it would appear to see that, see that contract out. Barcelona are desperate to cash in on part of that contract. Do they have any leverage whatsoever here? Pete, do you want to start us off with that? I don't think they do. If he decides to stay, then he's entitled to stay. Um, and um, it reminds me a little bit of, um, it's not exactly the same, but the, the David Beckham, um, his last season at Real Madrid, he announced that he was joining LA Galaxy pretty much in, I think it was January. And I was in the press conference with Capello and Capello said he'll never play for this club again. And of course, the, the season then started going a bit wrong. Um, and Beckham was back in the team and he, and he played quite an important part in the fact that they ended up winning the, winning the league title. Um, so what you say in January to try and force someone out, um, although that wasn't the case with Beckham, um, and what you end up having to do is uh, are two different things. I think Barca would be stupid to, to send him to the stands for, for the rest of the season. Um, um, yeah, he's cost them a lot of money um, and they are going to lose him for nothing, but um, it's also going to cost them a lot of money if they're not in the Champions League next season. And they need all the resources they can get at the moment. And if it's just a case of him, you know, having one of his three match runs where he plays quite well for three games or, or he does something special in a very important game for 20 minutes of a match and it gets them over the line in terms of finishing in the top four, they should use him. Um, I don't think they've covered themselves in glory with the way that they treated, with the, with the, way they've treated the situation. He, he wasn't their mistake. He was the previous board's mistake. Um, but to to, to 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 try and force him out and to say that he he has to leave when you don't really have any legal ground to say that. In fact, there's there's a legal argument that you know they they could be in trouble for what's it called mobbing when you deny someone the right to practice their their, their work by. But yeah, it's one thing to leave him out of the team. Um, it's another thing to say publicly, which Ali Man pretty much did do, that he's going to be left out of the team because he's not signing a new contract. Of course, they, nothing will happen to him because lots of teams do it. 
Um, but they've not handled it well. Is he the worst signing ever? Well, there's some strong competition, isn't there? I mean, Coutinho ranks right up there as well. Um, it, someone said to me when they sold Neymar, um, a Catalan journalist, um, Santa Jimenez, said to me that um, I'm not worried about Neymar leaving. I'm worried about what this lot are going to do with the money. And he was proved absolutely right. They pay completely over the odds for two players. Um, and, um, you know, if you can, you could wind the clock back and, 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 and not by anyone, you know, just, just hold the money and, and, and foot on the ball for a, for a half a season or whatever, um, then Barcelona will be in a very different place right now. But I'd keep him and use him and, you know, ring him out and then at the end of the season, farewell, goodbye. But, I mean, back 365, Neil, you said asked, you know, what should they do? A lateral answer is to say learn because I don't know if you know this, Pete, well, you might not, Neil, but um, a guy called Simon Stainrod was hawking Dembele around when he was emerging at Rennes. And that was the point at which Barcelona had really top-level football direction in terms of who to sign and when, and they missed out on a on getting a young guy um, of of preternatural talent. He's he's he's, he's his, his talent. It's by nowhere you couldn't describe it as being refined or at its peak, but still the raw stuff at twenty four there is is extraordinary. And they could have picked him up for 16, 17 million euros. They didn't. The other point to learn would be they they bought him in this kind of mood from Dortmund where he went on strike to get um, what he wanted. I, I think he's been, uh, as Dembele over the years has been as much at fault as Barcelona because he's not a grown-up. He hasn't seen the need. He... he clearly thinks it'll be like this forever. If you watch the documentary that he and um, Musa Sissoko, his agent, made um, immediately on arriving at Barcelona and they went back to where he grew up, the, the, the mean streets where he grew up and his, his you know, patently provable uh, revelations that he, he dreamt of being a Barcelona when he was um, growing up in, in France... It was something that his neighbours, they, they filmed his neighbours and older teachers and coaches talking about how much he wanted to become a Barcelona player. He, he got there and he kind of believed that it was paradise and that this was fine. And he did a he did an Alexander Kleb about, well, this is making it rather than where's the last chunk of what I've got to do with what I've been given. And, you know, he's irrespective of whether he wrote that statement that he made on social media about, oh, woe is me, infamy, infamy, you've all got it, infamy. He's either a, a jackass as a person or he hasn't taken this seriously enough and he may be just waking up to the loss of a, a handful of good seasons, even at 24. And the third thing I think the bus owner need to do is learn about their... their uh, maybe they know already because Ricard Pruna, the doctor, has been bought back by Chabi. Neither their decisions about how to physically prepare a player, how to special case a player who, you know, let's let's not talk about sick notes or made of glass. 
the large majority of athletes in football, at least who have physical problems, are are curable, they're preventable. There are very few who are irredeemably broken. And it's about learning about them, teaching them, changing how they eat and sleep, changing when you play them, um, ensuring that you're ahead of the curve. Neither party, Barcelona nor Dembele, has, has got on top of that at all. When he came back this time, I thought there was an absolutely noticeable dis- difference in Barcelona. And I thought he changed nearly everything about the, the side, apart from not, not scoring personally. And at the point where the negotiations then got their horniest and tackiest and nastiest, he seemed to drift off into a much more lackadaisical mentality and attitude. So, Betsy's question, Neil, and Pete's answer are a really good indication of why I, I won't make a, a, a top-level coach or director of football because I'm, you know, I'm an angry person. Anybody who listens in to me regularly knows that I brim with um, vitriol and brimstone and I would have been in this situation vindictive. I, I would have done. And he wouldn't be allowed in the fucking stand, never mind the team, given the way he's behaving. You can be within your rights contractually, which he is, but in order to earn the right to stay with good grace, you need to do what um, Beckham did, which was like, I'll show you. I will take this campaign by the scruff of the neck. You need to do what um, Robert Pires did with Arsenal, running his deal down to the last day. And Rick Larson with Celtic, running his deal down to the last day. It's a relatively common, common situation. Messi... Um, irrespective of what Laporta did to him when he left, Messi was down to the end of his contract and produced a handful of his pound-for-pound most impressive performances to, for example, haul Barcelona through a losing situation in the Cup semi-final. No doubt about his attitude or his commitment, never mind his talent. Dembele isn't, isn't showing that right now. And so, therefore, a lot of learning to be done. And if Barcelona were already looking down from position two and not likely to uh, have any threat about not qualifying for the Champions League, I think that the potential arrival of, of Traore would mean that, that Dembele wouldn't play anymore. Right now, pound for pound, Pete's point about use anybody that can get you into the top four is is the dominant point of view and it's the right one. Okay, thank you to everybody who sent in those questions. We have already mentioned Simon Stainrod. That's a big box text for me, so we can move to a break. Two more on Barcelona coming right up. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Mel. Bri here. Gotta work from home today because the whole family caught a nasty... Daddy! Hey, Mikey! If you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl! But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. (laughs) Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold but hot. Uh, But I'm going to get you that budget. Just as soon as... 
Mikey, popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart, Brian. And we're back with a question from Richard Harrison, who says, Hello, long-time social, first-time question. Love that, Richard. Thank you very much. How do Graham and Pete rate Frankie de Jong's time at Barcelona? What has maybe held him back? Could he take over from Busquets? Or do you see it as more likely he leaves given the emergence of midfield talent and financial constraints? Graham Hunter, you are shaking your head. You look pensive and sorrowful. First of all, Richard, I loved you in The Man Called Horse and the first Harry Potter movie. Great, great acting career. Well done. Um... It's a lovely question. Thanks for being a long-term social and thanks for joining us in this first question. Um, look, uh, were, were it me in charge, I'd have pushed the hardest possible to sell Frankie de Jong in this window and I wouldn't have kept him to the next window and I would have looked to um, change the financial fair play situation and earn spare cash such that a, a brilliant signing could have been made to guarantee... Barcelona getting into the Champions League in tactical terms that's what I've done would have done you get a bigger price for him in the summer and again if they've chosen and and Xavi was clear um, that Frankie de Jong stays at the moment if they've chosen to keep him to the summer that's when I would sell him he doesn't have either the game or the character for that club even when things are harmonious and Xavi's ways are showing playing dividends rather than just the, the training ground dividends which are being shown at the moment and, and percentage-wise the performances and results are better but they're a million miles off where they need to be. So what I think we've gleaned about De Jong and, and it was underlined to me when he got so spiky after... Um, I mean, I, I don't mind spiky people, Richard, but... If you marry the milksop performances which he regularly gives in big games compared to the talent that he unquestionably has, that's point one in terms of not a big winning character. Point two was, um, you know, when he was offered the chance to join Barcelona, the first person he signed was, phoned, was Koeman, phoned for advice. Koeman wasn't the Barca coach at the time. Koeman had been his national team coach. Koeman was somebody who got decent levels out of De Jong when he was in charge. And when Koeman was dismissed, long overdue, long overdue, and Xavi was two games in, there was a De Jong interview where somebody said to him, you know, are you enjoying under Xavi? And he went, well, I enjoyed it perfectly well under Koeman. Yeah, all right, fella. If you feel that way, nobody can strip you of that emotion, but that's not what you say. He said recently that he was unimpressed with Laporta coming down to the dressing room in Saudi Arabia to to do a sort of Ich bin ein Berliner JFK speech about, this is brilliant, we were so good today, you're the, you're the best, now all we need to do is win, after having lost in a dramatic and interesting classical 3-2 against Madrid. And it was an inane thing to do to celebrate a defeat like that. And it, it didn't go down well. But De Jong 
was the only player who's spoken up publicly going uh, when it was being said that we were proud to have lost like that to Real Madrid it's not the way a Barcelona should be oh so you know what big club players should be behaving like and playing like and what should and shouldn't constitute happiness well bravo for saying it but what about actually doing it it may be that he'll take all of those words and ram it down my throat at another big club where he can cope with the pressure but right now, it looks as if he's a little bit sulky, a little bit milksop. No way is he anywhere near the potential he should be, given what he's been exposed to at Ajax and Holland and uh, Barcelona. So um, for that reason, um, Richard, he's out. <laughs> Pete Jensen, do you think that Barcelona's decision here is perhaps made easier by the abundance of talent they have emerging in in that position yeah possibly although I think um, they don't necessarily have a someone who's ready made to fit the Busquets position um, and I also don't think that Xavi's completely going out on a limb a little bit here but given up completely on the idea that Frankie de Jong could be a central defender I don't think it's something he can experiment with, with now because he needs Gerard Piquet in the centre of that defence um, holding it together but I think in the longer term I think Pete, I think De Jong's a better player. Um, well, we know he's a better player than the way he's been playing. But I, I, I completely disagree with Graham, and I very, very rarely say that. Um, I think um, I thought he showed character when he said when he stuck up for Kuman. I think the easy thing to do would have been to to not to give a second thought to the guy who's not around anymore and to suck up to the new man. I thought he he, he spoke up for for someone who brought him to the club and and, and wasn't treated in the best way. Uh, I watched the interview at the weekend when he's when he said th- what he said about Laporta, and I think at the moment he can't win. He's being criticised because he's a pea heart, and then when he comes out and says, you know, we shouldn't be celebrating the fact that we lost narrowly against Real Madrid, then he's he's slaughtered for that as well. Um, uh, it's tough at Barca sometimes when you're not one of the young lads who's come through the system. He's surrounded by by young Catalans and, and beyond Catalonia, young players who've been at the club for a long time and are products of the system. Um, you don't get an easy ride always. It tends to be your fault when things go wrong. You look at any moment in Barcelona's history and things aren't going well and it's usually the fault of the people who players who have come in from outside. Um, I think he's a good player. Uh, I, don't, I don't think... Um, I think Evidence of that is the fact that City wanted him and that he ended up choosing Barcelona ahead of Man City. I think Guardiola wanted him. Um, I think he's got the versatility where he could develop into either the holding midfield player or the ball-playing centre-back. He needs to be given a position um, and he needs to be told that that's your position. Make it your own. Make it yours in the team. Um, although there is a, a plenty of midfield options, I think the likes of Gavi and Pedri offer something very, very different. And Nico as well. I think um, he he will be sold if there's the right offer because everyone's up for sale. Um, apart from maybe you know Pedri, um, everyone's up for sale if the right offer comes in because that's the situation that Barca are in at the moment. And they would have sold him in January had they had the money. I think I think I think you've advanced it a lot, Pete, in that. He he undoubtedly under under Koeman was an interesting option as the guy who came out of a back three, and the three five two didn't end up working for Barcelona. But Xavi seems married to three four three at least for the meantime, and and that is a a cogent point about when De Jong looked his best. Um, 
But remember, it wasn't Cumin that brought him. He came under Valverde. He's been at the club for a reasonable amount of time. My criticisms aren't about he's a foreigner. My criticisms would be about 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 how much he's developed, and I think he's the best he's done is is stayed at or around. I think compared to his Ajax and Holland form, I I don't think he's advanced in my. I mean, you're you're right, and I did, I did preface about you know I like spiky people who come out and and when he if he felt that about Cumin, all right, but I still compare it that attitude and jutting chin to the level of some of his performances in terms of intensity. He's another like Busquets whose physique has never improved, and his physique in terms of being able to hold off challenges still isn't good enough he needs Iniesta if it was good enough for Iniesta who became you know like that top body it's certainly good enough for De Jong and I look at things where it's within his own compass to have become a better more impressive more significant footballer and it's those things that I'm worried mark him down as somebody who in a couple of years' time, even in good times, people will be saying, well, is he the guy that makes the difference or not? Um, and given the vehemence of your defence, you know, I'm, I'm willing to reset and start looking at him afresh. But um, I don't think he has the constituent elements of... Chavi the other day on the club website named the season he was happiest in. And he'd, he'd a big range of choices. Uh, and this is a debate that you and I and, and Neil and Martin and all the socios have often had. And Xavi named 2008-2009, which was a side he played in with, you know, a lot of footballers who can now be considered all-time greats. But it was also a side that was much more physical, um, that was down in the dirt, competitive, and and took that Stamford Bridge game and made something out of it, and took going 1-0 down in the cup to Athletic and made something out of it. The bouncer of Yaya Torre instead of Yaya Torre instead of, instead of the bouncer of Busquets. Yeah. Just so, just so. And I, and I think the Barca of Keita and Rafa Marquez was still an important player, albeit he was injured for the Rome final. And... I don't want De Jong to be replicas of those, and he's not 6'2", like, yeah, yeah, but you've got the gist that there were really special, hard, redoubtable characters there, and as as yet, I don't I don't see that in De Jong, but for you and for Richard, I'll, I'll in the current season, I'll press a reset button and up Periscope anew. Not often that we have Graham and Pete disagreeing, but if you think that was bad, wait till you get a load of the present and former boards of FC Barcelona. Ian Body, Socio Ian Body, hi, is going to close us out with the last question for this episode. He says, I see in the Vanguardia newspaper that the current junta has denounced the previous one for numerous irregularities apart from total ineptitude. How do the guys see this playing out and will it make any difference at all to the situation at the club or is it just a distraction? Ooh, well, first of all, um, let's try and, and not defame anybody or slander anybody. Um, did you notice, P, 
Pete introducing silently in Marcel, Marcel, Marcel fashion, a demonstration of what the Spanish word pausa means, which is doing the right thing at every time, just by showing a little bit of, and he kept quiet until I spoke. So chapeau to that one. I, I'm guided a little bit um, by two concepts. One is that during Bartomeu's reign, his his compliance officer, whose job was to try and ensure integrity of practice, uh, quit in disgust. And she said some pretty pungent things about the practices of Bartomeu and his board. The second is that the reason that Ian was reading about that in La Vanguardia is that um, a few days ago, Barcelona put out a, a press statement saying uh, this coming week, Laporta will report on the findings of Sue Gray. No, is it Sue Gray? <laughs> um, so, look, we've all, we've all trembled at the end of term when the report card's coming out and our knees have knocked and we wonder what the teacher's going to say. And forensic investigation is a concept that um, Bartomeu imposed um, on Laporta's reign when Bartomeu was part of the regime that came in with Rosé in 2011, I think, 2010, pardon me. And the new administration, run principally by um, Rosé and Bartomeu, really vilified, and it turns out lied, about the dog days of, of Laporta's empire. And there were many things that were wrong with particularly the latter couple of years of Laporta's reign, first reign, which you can judge by the fact that two key lieutenants uh, left in disgust, um, Ferran Soriano and Mark Ingla. But once the accusations from Rosé and Bartomeu died down and there were formal investigations by auditors, it was proven that all the accusations were total bullshit. Now, Laporta, not in a tit-for-tat sense, has to be right corporately to say, I've come into a club that I've been criticising for months, a club where the board has resigned en masse early, a club where we're suddenly 1.3 billion in debt, the stadium hasn't been renewed, the whole project about the... Barcelona's space has hit the rocks. It's embarrassing. Our club, our football side is turned to, turned to mud. <laughs> I, I'm going to have an audit about what's going on. So, Ian, it has to be right that they've done it. And more than predict the findings, I want to see one of the promises come true, which is that they... It's widely understood that what they will do with this audit they've done, that they've conducted, is, is report the previous board to the financial authorities in Spain. And that is potentially, I say potentially because Spain is not a com country that's immune to corruption, it's potentially where you take it outside the family and incestuous tit-for-tat accusations. It's potentially where proof may be um, obtained and potentially where either names can be cleared or people can be fined or jailed. So whatever Laporta says um, this weekend, which I think Pete is Wednesday or Tuesday, one of those two days, 
Tuesday in the Laporte press conference, which will undoubtedly be great copy for all of us, which is not the primary concern, but it will be. I, I will personally view that as, as stage one because I will want external authorities to examine whatever is announced on um, the way in which uh, due diligence was ignored by the board because financial limits on decisions that could be taken without going to the board were, were uh, fractions so that lots of little payments went through to accumulate to a total that would have needed board approval, commissions on transfers... I'm certain that there are lots of little spiders that brooms can flush out from the corner of uh, cupboards. But I, I would, I thoroughly would want this to be nothing more than a precursor to more formal investigations if there are um, serious accusations of financial wrongdoing that come out on, on Wednesday. I saw one, one quote from an unnamed source saying that um, basically what Barcelona found with this forensic... Um uh, audit that they've carried out is that um, there was um, lamentable, um, incredible levels of irresponsibility, um, and um, he, he made half of Catalonia rich, which doesn't necessarily indicate that um, he was corrupt. Um, more that um, um, he didn't look at um, the ways to do things in as cheap a way as possible or as economic way as possible. And it reminded me a little bit when I read that of um, Peter Ridsdale's leads that in the end it was it seemed to be more about incompetence than, than, than anything beyond that and, you know, spending too much on the goldfish in the in the manager's office or whatever and having players sit down in front of the chairman ready to, to, to argue their case for what they wanted to be paid and being told before they'd open their mouths that they were going to be paid twice as much as they would they were planning to ask for that kind of thing um i've spoken to people who have had had dealings with Bartomeu and 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 they pretty much sing from the same song sheet in terms of it was never a corrupt regime it was just a completely incompetent one um so as graham says this happened to laporta it took seven years i think to resolve and in the end they found in his in his favor um Bartomeu's uh, camp a, a briefing that, um, ah, they haven't found anything because if they'd really found something, um, there would be an official complaint rather than just passing all the files and folders to, to, the, to the authorities and saying, you have a look at all this now, we've been through it, um, and we're not happy with it, see what you can come up with. Um, it's something that it seemed at, at first that Laporta was trying to avoid because he did say on various occasions that he suffered a lot during those seven years, clearing his name, as it were, um, and he didn't want to put even his enemy through that process. But um, the other theory, of course, is it, it, it adds to this sense that it's all the other guy's fault, uh, which, of course, it 90% is, even though uh, lots of mistakes have been made since Laporta took over. Um, but it just it keeps up that narrative that don't forget, you know, it's the, it's the previous board and the previous president that's put us in the situation that we're in. It will drag on and on and on. Um, uh, also going on at the moment is the investigation into the I3, um, the technologies company that were contracted by Barcelona to um, to look after their social media. And the fact that they they then came up with various social media accounts that then carried stories that weren't particularly nice about certain people um, who were on the other side of the fence uh, in opposition to, to Bartomeu. Um, 
and the fact that um, the board um, knew that um, if um, they put the full amount of money that were being paid to that company into one pot, as it were, then it would have to go through internal uh, auditing. So they chopped it up into neat little £200,000 uh, £200, packages and it, and it never had to go through internal auditing. And I think that's probably the level of of uh, skullduggery that's gone on um just a little bit of inventive accounting um huge irresponsibility overspending on a massive scale all of which by the way they may well have got away with if it hadn't been for the pandemic i mean laporta said before the election for the, the last election that he won that the bartomeu was basically the three billion president because they were spending a billion uh, the club were making a billion and they were they were a billion in debt um and um had it not been for the pandemic just wiping out football tourism and full stadiums, two things that Barcelona was so, so reliant on, um, we wouldn't be in the situation we're in now. And, and it would have just been, um, you know, a bad hand that uh, Laporta was dealt by, the, by Bartomeu instead of the disastrous one that, that, he, that he inherited um, because, of, because of the pandemic. Okay, let's close the doors on the boardroom at the camp now and on this episode of our Q&A show. We'll be back very soon with part two when we move away from FC Barcelona and talk about the rest of Spanish football. For now, thank you very much to all of our socios who have sent in questions for this episode. Thank you to Pete and Graham for their excellent non-libelous answering. And thank you very much for listening. Back soon. Mm-hmm.